it kind of feels like we're just making these projects up. We're just kind of like making things. And, and I do think that spirit of, of, you know, creating something and then we're going to try this and um, that it, it's kind of a, a way of being in the world that makes sense to me. It's the Chris Grace Show. I'm your host, Chris Grace. I'm very excited to bring to you an interview with uh, my childhood friend, Ron Barry, who now is the founder of the Fusebox Festival in Austin, Texas. And uh, this is a, one of my favorite conversations. We talked about what it's like to run an arts festival, the uh, state of arts festivals in the United States, and some of Ron's favorite picks for festivals to go to around the world and also just um, our thoughts about where theater is these days what it's like to make theater what it's like to try to find money to make theater to give to theater makers to do their thing and create art and really honor live performance and uh, I mention it in the conversation but I do have this running theory right now that I think the uh, rise of AI and all sorts of other things um and I think our growing realization that connecting through social media just isn't really everything we wanted it to be. I think it's all going to contribute to a rise in the value of live performance and, and live gatherings. And um, I think that's good for people who like to make theater and also like to do stand up and all improv and all that kind of stuff. So um pretty uh extensive ramble coming after the interview but for right now please enjoy my conversation with ron barry ron barry thanks for being on the chris grace show thank you thanks for uh, asking me we just got back from uh texas where i uh did a second workshop reading of Chris Grace at Scarlett Johansson at the Fusebox Festival, which you were so kind enough to find a space for me to try it out. Uh, it was such a blast having you. People loved it. Oh, my God. Yeah. You sound surprised. Interesting. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I like to enter things with very low expectations. And, uh, I mean, so, I was surprised, too. <laughs> I was surprised that there were like 60 people there, which was shocking to me. Oh, yeah. Um, they were like hanging from the rafters. Yeah, I think that spoke. I was telling my friends because like, I think that speaks to a lot of people there seem to be like, hey, we go to Fusebox Festival. We like to see things. And it seems like it has a culture of like, let's take a shot on this show. Let's go see it. You know? Yeah, I think that's right. Most of the uh, artists that we present are not like household names. And that Watch it. We're not. Mo I said most, <laughs> with a couple of A-listers like Chris Price. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but um, like we're not compared to like you know Austin City Limits Music Festival in Austin and South by Southwest. Um, these are not like giant. Like we're not bringing in the Rolling Stones, yeah. uh, but we are tapped into this global network of artists who work primarily in live performance and it's hard to get to experience these artists unless you're traveling around the world and seeing them um and so over the past 19 years i think our audiences have just kind of uh, built up a trust with us they're like hey we know we don't know exactly what this is but we trust you and we're gonna have an interesting experience um and we do have we have like a really devoted passionate uh, audience at this point yeah and they they love the show so much oh my gosh 
Yeah, I mean, uh, this is the nineteenth year that you had it, yeah. which is insane. Yeah. Um, like uh, th- to me, anybody that can pull off a festival once, it's like an achievement in terms of logistics and money and all that stuff. I can't believe that you've, I mean, it's almost 20 years now you've been doing this. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. It's, you know, we were started by myself and a, a, some other artist friends and like we had a budget of $5,000 and like no idea that we would do it twice, much less 19 times. And, and some of that uh, spirit of like, not knowing what we're doing (laughs) is like like actually really helpful i i don't mean that in like a i mean that in a a real way like i mean we at this 19 years in we do know some things and we've seen a lot of shows and uh we're not complete novices but i think there's been something helpful about hanging on to a sense of not knowing and 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 maybe what what i'm talking about is just how do you like prevent something from calcifying over time. Mm-hmm. Like how do you keep a thing live? Uh, and that's been fun. So that's just allowed us to go into some maybe different areas or done, do some different kinds of projects that maybe we wouldn't ordinarily do. And that's been fun. Uh, I mean, I don't know that many festivals in the U S that have this, um, connection to, it seems to me like Fusebox is in the same world as, like a, a a fringe festival from other countries where uh, I guess maybe like stuff I've saw in Brooklyn, maybe like the East 59th stuff or whatever, but mm-hmm. there aren't that many contexts in us performance that are like hooked into international acts that don't eventually have like, um, you know, like, and now our headliner, Eddie Izzard or something, plus a bunch mm-hmm. of people. Like, um, mm-hmm. I think what you spoke about, like, it's it's not really, um, it doesn't seem structured around, like, we've got this tentpole uh, giant name yeah. in a big yeah. font on the poster, you know, like a Coachella type thing. We've got Beyonce, and then we've got a bunch of other things sort of riding on mm-hmm. that. Um, it doesn't have that spirit. It seems to have more of a... Uh, like the cool shows that I see in Edinburgh, I think would fit at Fusebox. Yeah. You know, I think we're, we are set up as a nonprofit and not that nonprofits can't present big names. They do obviously, but I think that just hasn't been our, our focus. I think we've been wanting to, to each year highlight some of the most interesting things that are getting made in Austin each year. So it is kind of a platform for local artists, but then we wanted to share with local audiences, some artists from other parts of the world that maybe they're not familiar with or haven't Mm -hmm. seen uh, that we think are really exciting. And so it's, it's kind of always about uh, in some ways holding these two conversations simultaneously, what's happening locally, what's not happening, what would be interesting to share, uh, and then what's happening sort of nationally and internationally in terms of new original live performance that's interesting. And then we have a pretty broad scope. We work with visual artists, we work with composers, with filmmakers, and with theater and dance makers as well. But mm-hmm. the the live event is kind of at the center of what we do. Um, yeah, when we were coming up, because Ron and I have known each other since ninth grade, basically. Uh, and when we were coming up, the, the, the term theater makers wasn't one I ever heard until I was like 30 or something like that. Uh, but I love that term. I don't know why. 
I like the yeah. feeling of just like we make live experiences. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, totally. So now you just finished the festival. So um, <laughs> what part of your year is like scouting and going to see stuff and traveling? Yeah, you know, it's pretty pretty constant. Uh, and we're usually working on a couple festivals at a time. So we're definitely working on the next one and then uh, working beyond that as well. Um, so, yeah, I you know, there's some uh, – I'll be going to this really – a uh, big festival in Melbourne called Rising, uh, and then the Manchester International Festival in Manchester, UK. Mm. Uh, they have a big new art center that they're opening called the Factory, and uh, Janelle Monae is going to be in residence. They have they have a much bigger budget than we do. Wow, uh, she's like in residence there. <laughs> cool, it's like that's cool. Um, so you're gonna go. And so those are some upcoming. I think so. Uh, if we're not already, uh, <laughs> you should check your socials. You might be connected already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she should check hers. I've been sending a lot of messages. Yeah. Now, when you go to a festival now, because I mean, yeah. you're 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 connecting to these other festivals, but on some level, you're also, uh, I mean, you might see a show that you invite to Fusebox, I presume, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. Are you ever treated like you're the New York Times food reviewer and they're a restaurant and like you get a little VIP action going? <laughs> I mean, some uh, sometimes I'll get my like uh, flight covered or my accommodation covered. Usually that's from like a, a cultural ministry like like the Australia Council has a pool of money to help export their artists and they'll maybe have some funding to give towards that festival um, and so sometimes it's stuff like that. Sometimes I might get a, get some discounted tickets, but it's not like, it's not like superstar treatment. Okay. So you don't go and lord it over them as you come in. Like, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you yeah. like impress me. <laughs> yeah. Boring. <laughs> I mean, boy, you just walk out in the middle of actually, <laughs> well, the thing is, is like, uh, I mean, you must have seen thousands of shows at this point over the last 19 years. I have. And, like, the majority of them are not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just the way it goes. That's uh, the way it goes. Most of them are not so good. I was sitting with – I went to this – you know, so during uh, – in New York in January, there's APAP and Under the Radar right. and all this stuff. And I was at this show with a colleague of mine. It was the shortest heat. Like, lights went down. Lights came up. He left. What? <laughs> they hadn't even said anything. He was like, fuck this bullshit. I'm wow. out. And what what sensory information had you received at this point? <laughs> Just a visual. Wow. Just a visual. Uh, he was right. It was not the greatest show in the world. Uh, you just had that feeling. But I was like, dang, yeah, give the people a chance. He's wow. like, no, I've given enough chances. <laughs> I mean, at that point, maybe it's time for vacation. For that guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you know, I've I've seen I've not I've seen, you know, my my fringe Edinburgh fringe show watching has gone down. Like the more I ha the more hats I have on, like the years that I've been producing stuff, um, it really cuts into your ability to like see a bunch of stuff. Um, but for a couple oh, yeah. of years there, I'd be there for a month and I'd see like 40, 40 shows. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, and That's amazing. Uh, you definitely have to. Uh, with you know, endure some stuff that's just like, 
uh, I was trying to describe what it's like to somebody, and 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 sometimes there is like five minutes in, you're like, oh, I made a mistake. Um, yeah. At least at Edinburgh, well, the it, shows are only an hour. I don't know. It doesn't yeah, seem too bad. Yeah, yeah. But it's a thing that I ultimately like about the sort of the the art form, but it does ask a lot of you. I mean, as compared to like, say a painting, Mm -hmm. uh, like it's a time commitment and sometimes that's painful, but I do appreciate it. I do appreciate it when it's good. It is like a, a, just this, it's a very rich uh, encounter with a thing. Um, And I, so I do. I am grateful for it. It's a thing that I like about my mm. performance, but it is. It's a. It's a commitment. And then there's always that tension between um, live performance is not a mass medium. Um, you have yeah. the w- yeah. when you see the thing that really sparks you. And like, I mean, I guess this is why you create an arts festival because you see the thing that's like so awesome, and then you kind of want everyone to see it. And it's like not like a Netflix show where you can just have them stream it or whatever. It's like yeah, you uh, you have yeah. to like buy a ticket and show up, and hopefully you'll have the same experience as I did or something similar. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. But I mean, you also um, have the since you have the festival, you have that able, ability to like express yourself in that way of like saying, you know, for example, you told me this past weekend to go see the Greedy Peasants show, yes, uh, which was delightful, yes. and I definitely would not have like picked that as something to go to based on just yeah, like, I don't know, it just wouldn't have been something I picked in, but um, the same way, like on an individual level, you were like, hey, you should go see this. Uh, the festival is kind of like operating on a bigger scale, but sort of the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, here's stuff you should see. Yeah, that's right. And um, we also work, we work with each year with about three different guest curators who are helping to sort of, you know, they put together little groups of projects for us to look at. And oh, that's cool. for the past several years, we've been working with Jeff Kahn from Australia who works a lot in the Asia Pacific region um, he's wonderful. And then we worked with a music curator and then a visual art curator this year as well. Wait, I want to be the Edinburgh scout. <laughs> yeah, you should. That'd be so fun. Um, yeah, there's some great, there's some and great, great shows the- that I'm involved in that I would pick. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. I think most of the time when I go see stuff though, it's, I mean, it is scouting. I'm kind of always looking for stuff that I think audiences here would be interested in seeing. But a lot of the time it's really just research. It's just like getting a sense of what's happening right now and what mm-hmm. different artists are making. And a lot of these artists I've been following for years. And so it's, it's interesting to see their work, even if it may or may not be, uh, you know, might, might, might not make sense to bring it to Austin. It's still helpful just to see what people are making and what's being created and put out into the world right now. Yeah. Also, I think you can see sometimes, um, like I love circus stuff. I love European or Australian style circus shows. Uh-huh. And I love this company called Circa. They're sort of like one of the big, uh-huh. big, big fish in the pond or whatever. And their last show, it's called humans 2.0. Uh, I didn't like love it as much as the one before, uh, but sometimes it's interesting to see them trying to do something different. Humans 2.0, they tried a lot more industrial type music. Hmm. Um, and, uh, that was, you know, cause I think one of the things that's interesting, if you see a lot of these live performances is you can see like the trends 
and you can see influences between one show and the other. And um, I don't know how much circus you've seen, but there's a lot of circus that is like, I'm going to do a solo act on a silk or something like that. And then we're going to play like a, um, uh, wait, who's the guy who produced YouTube? Daniel Lenoir. <laughs> Like oh yes, gonna, yes. We're gonna yes. play a Daniel Lenoir or um <laughs> you know uh a Bony Vare song. That's like a very common trope. Like it's a trope that I didn't know about ten years ago, but it's definitely a trope. Um because yeah. I was actually watching like a French circus modern dance performance thing on YouTube the other day, and I was just thinking like what would what would all these troops do without like American indie song singer songwriters? <laughs> um <laughs> And so Humans 2.0, I think, was an a, a effort to move away from that because the music was very harsh. It was very electronic, um, but like not as pleasing in the moment. But then I think, well, you know, maybe that's maybe they have to make this show to mm. see where they get to their next show, you know. Mm. Um, and I think it's interesting to see those artists develop. And I'm, I mean, you must have seen that when you encounter the same people over and over. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really... Um that's a real joy of this job is getting to know artists and the sort of the ideas that they're playing with and see that kind of played with over time, explored over time. It's really, that's really nice. Yeah. Have you ever seen an artist that you were like, uh, I mean, you don't have to be super negative, but like the first, maybe the first or second time you encounter them, you were like, eh, it's good, but like not right for the festival. And then later you were like, Oh, they've come into their own, like, like, they're they're really doing great now yeah yeah um i feel like that um happens quite a bit you know like you can tell that someone is like really onto something or they're they're getting at something that's interesting but maybe it's not fully formed in that project and then maybe it's the next project or maybe it's two projects later mm -hmm. you're like oh yeah so yeah it's a great great question and and it, i do see that pretty often um, and so, yeah, when you, that's why it's also like, it's good just to do this research. You just got to see the work. You got to be in the room with it. Um, and, and yeah, so even if it's not a show that you want to necessarily bring, like, you're like, oh yeah, okay. This, this artist is getting at something mm -hmm. that's interesting. Let's, let's follow this artist. And, um, yeah, that's, that, that happens all the time. I was thinking about with my show, like with the trend, speaking of trends, like I, I sort of was stepping away from it after the workshop and I was like, oh, I mean, my show is definitely influenced by like, like the rehearsal. Um, mm. Like it's definitely influenced by sort of these like circular meta yeah. that are happening right now. Uh, not like consciously, uh, but uh, I forget there was something else too that I was like, oh, it does have some similarities. And I, and I've, been thinking about how I'm having more like stylistic things like come up in the work that I'm doing, even in just like the standup that I'm doing mm -hmm. where um, I'm having these sort of like meta meta structures enter <clears throat> the stuff that I'm doing. And I'll, I'll just call, I'll say this is maturity of some kind, which is like, I'm not worrying myself that much about the similarities and mm -hmm. um in some of the stuff I'm creating, sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I know this is, even if I'm repeating a motif from something before, I'm kind of like, I know this is similar to something I've done before, but like, I still think this is the best way to like say this, express this moment. So like 
maybe it's just going to be a style of mine or something or, you know, as opposed to, I think before I would have been like, uh, well, I can't do it. Like people, people like, I I mean, I'm a fan of Nathan Fielder's the rehearsal. Yeah. Um, and I know that you could draw similarities from the way that show expresses itself to like the second half of my show. But like, also I'm kind of like, well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know where it came from for, for the beer. It didn't come from an imitative place anyway. So like, I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 You know, but I do think it's interesting that there's like, you can draw lines between like a lot of people working today and be like, okay, here's a theme that's like coming up in a lot. Of- Actually, I don't know. You you must see that when you like you're from year to year, like <laughs> certainly things have happened in the world that have probably like triggered similar thoughts. Between yeah. Different artists. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. There are, I mean, I don't know if it's zeitgeist, whatever you want to call it, but yeah, I think there are often sort of, um, I don't know, maybe mechanism or frames or ways of thinking about putting a performance on the, onto the stage or uh, out into the world that you start to see similarities for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So what degree of your job is fundraising? (laughs) Yeah. Right now, a lot of it, Uh which is like, it's like not my favorite thing, but it's fine. Right. I mean, you like the part where you get to go see and make artists' dreams come true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you like the part where you're basically like, um, yeah. like Willy Wonka, and you're like, here's yeah. a here's a free trip to Austin. Yeah. Uh, so now you have to like pay for it, right? So like, what has that been like? Because uh, you mentioned before we start recording that your funding, the or arts funding in Austin has gone through a transition. I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it all comes from hotel motel tax. And then it, uh, when COVID hit, it, the bottom of the hotel market fell out and they were like, oops, we don't have enough money to pay uh, the contracts that we've already awarded. So then they mm-hmm. had to like borrow money to make that happen. And then they're like, we're going to switch to actual numbers because they had based everything on projections. And anyway, so then they were like, we're going to switch to actual numbers. And this year, to catch up, you get nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Anyway, yeah, so we do like a big annual gala. We apply for a bunch of different other grants uh, from different foundations. We get some sponsors. We have individual donors. Um, so that's kind of, we just kind of cobble it together. Uh, so you're a nonprofit. So like how, how does a nonprofit think about like its size as an organization? Is there, I just, I, it's probably not the right word, but is there like an endowment or something or is there like a, I guess you have your budget. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're always kind of, I mean, I'd say we are always kind of making educated guesses. Uh, But yes, we have a board of like 25 people Mm -hmm. and there's some funding that we get pretty regular. That was what was so crushing about the city funding is that we'd gotten, we'd received city of Austin funding every year that we've existed. So it was like, that's money that we are pretty much counting on. Maybe not that same amount every year, but we are counting on something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's certain, you know, we after we've done our, our gala for a couple years in a row, you're like, yeah, okay. I think we can, we can probably, you know, rely on a certain amount in this ballpark and you just kind of put it together. But like, you know, MoMA is a nonprofit. So, I mean, there's massive nonprofits in our, in the art world. Um, Right. And so you're saying you're smaller than MoMA. We're smaller than MoMA. <laughs> Just by it's tiny yeah. bit. Yeah, a little bit. We're coming for them. <laughs> uh, 
So, and because of that, I believe this year you charge for tickets. Yeah, we've been free the past eight years. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Which um, I think was awesome. I do think that that contributed to people just taking a ch- developing an audience that was really game for taking a chance on stuff. Yeah. Um, and what was how was that received this year by audience members? Oh, uh, really well. They were like, yeah, because we also like just we have a pretty good relationship with our audience, and we just kind of like talk about it, and we're like, hey, here's what's going on. This happened. Yeah. Uh, you sent uh, out an email. The subject was like, you want a festival or not? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, really great. so like in a way, twenty twenty three is sort of like you are in survival mode, right? Like because yeah. you, the yeah. the, pres- the presumption is you'll get some funding back next year. Yeah, we will. We'll get okay. something, and hopefully, and then yeah, we're we're working on it. And then next year's our twentieth anniversary, so yeah, um, that's gonna be fun. We're also uh, it aligns with the with the. Uh, solar eclipse that's going right, like the path of totality is going right over Austin, and so right. we're gonna do a big project related to the eclipse to like kick off our festival, which is pretty oh, cool. Fun. Um, like where in okay, when you first started this, there's no way you would have thought we we're gonna go 20 years, yeah, no way. Um, where, where in years one through six, let's say, was there some moment where you were like, okay, I think we might be around sticking around. Probably like year three, and that's when I – the first two years, I didn't get paid anything to do mm. this. And so that was – we had a couple of board members. Well, we actually spun – we were originally started by another nonprofit that I was also helping to run. And then the festival by year three was like, oh, I think this thing kind of wants to be its own thing. And I, I could see it uh, actually eclipsing the, the current nonprofit that we were in. So we spun it off, and we got – we had a couple – uh, board members step up and create a salary for myself and a couple other positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, Oh, that's, that's when you yeah. bought that Porsche, right? Yeah. Uh, the first of many, <laughs> you, you buy a new one for every fuse box. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't know if you got yeah. the keynote for each fuse box is Ron, uh, starting the car of his new Porsche <laughs> paid for by the previous year's fuse box yeah. has a big bow on it. <laughs> and then he just, he just drives it into, uh, Barton the Springs lake. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait. Okay. High school story. Uh huh. Do you remember the story? I don't like. Someone took their dad's car out, and then they like dented it or something, and then which also kind of happened to me. Yes. Um, but um, and then they flipped out and they uh, drove the car into the lake. <laughs> oh, the father did. No, the son did because they were so afraid that they're gonna get in so much trouble. <laughs> No, I don't remember dad. this at all. So they just like totally choked and drove the car to the lake. No, it doesn't surprise me really, but uh, the yeah, the, no, I don't remember that. I'll, all yeah. I remember is that we had a suicide pact or, or something in like junior high or high school. And then I thought it, I, th- I mentioned this on a previous episode because uh, I did an episode with Dan Heath. And oh, yeah. um I thought that like every, I thought it was a time where every school in the country like had this, it was a trend, right? And you can still on Wikipedia look up like the Clear Lake High School suicide pact. <laughs> it's like, like the one place in the world that had it or something. So, I mean, we, we're a special school in many ways. Yeah. Very um, special. Um, yeah. Like, w- wait, what were you doing as a job when this started? You weren't, yeah. uh, before you got paid by Fusebox. Yeah. So, I was working for this multimedia education company. Called oh, Think, think well. well. Started by 
Dan Heath. Dan Heath. Oh, all the fibers of the uh, podcast yeah. are coming together. Yeah. Now. And we they have this uh, brain mobile that Dan and I drove around the country together. Right. It's amazing. Think well, think well was a like sort of online educational th- service. Um, and really like uh, a model that is like universal now. Yeah. Um, but I think I remember Dan specifically told me he was at one point because I think Thinkwell went through some transitions at some point. Uh, maybe they like got bought by somebody or they're still around. They're oh, still they going. are. But I remember <laughs> at one point he was like, "Oh, the thing is, we just don't have the bandwidth to do exactly what we want to do." And like now, it's like every other video on YouTube is like a tutorial about how to yeah, do something. Yeah, totally. Uh-huh. Yeah, the idea was that this was like when streaming video was first coming out. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we have this technology now that will allow us to to learn from like the world's greatest teachers. And maybe you're in some intro level course in college with like 500 other students and it's being taught by a grad student that may or may not be like the best person at teaching this. And yeah. uh, you could learn from from someone that's really great at it. And then you could use class time to answer questions or do group work or take advantage of that in-person time to do some other kind of stuff. Um, so it was a good idea and they had some great teachers. I don't know how to phrase this question. It's not really a question. I just feel like, uh, I feel like you and I have a similar, I'm going to presume a feeling that I think you have, which is like, (laughs) um, I don't, I don't feel like we've grown up into being adults yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like, know. it's so weird to me that we're still doing this kind of stuff and like able to be alive, yeah. you know, and we're still just like making, making, stuff. making theater. Like it's so yeah. strange. It's so strange. It's like a class project or something. I know. Well, actually like the class projects we would do in junior high and high school, um, and like the plays we did in drama, uh, it's like a lot of times I'm like, it doesn't feel that different from that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like the the show that I did Sunday, the workshop that I did, it's like not that different than some, like, I remember I did a presentation in like seventh grade English where I played Mark Twain. And <laughs> actually for that, I like recorded audio of me talking as like, uh, like another voice talking to myself and like I talked, I responded to myself and like, I still remember we made like a a video for the um, metamorphosis, Kafka metamorphosis. Oh my God. (laughs) Like it doesn't seem that different than the stuff we're doing now. Like, Oh my God. (laughs) Attention Kmart shoppers. Yes. We had, (laughs) we had uh, the, the cockroach from metamorphosis escaped into like a Kmart. (laughs) <laughs> we had you you had a keyboard that had the uh portamento feature which i'd never heard before which is when you hit two notes it goes Wah-ear. i still remember the melody from that song that i wrote on the keyboard because <laughs> we had the cockroach point of view like running around the the aisles of the store mm-hmm. and then the music was <laughs> and like I mean, my mentality for putting the show together on Sunday, it wasn't that different. It wasn't like so. I have yeah. now some sophisticated, yeah. nearly 50-year-old artistic um, approach to these things. It's still just like writing a script and being like, okay, I need a sound effect. 
Like, <laughs> yeah. W- what would be funny to say here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, your, your writing is very good. Uh, uh, thank you very much. I would say, not that it wasn't great in uh, high school, but it did feel like pretty, like pretty much every line was really, I was like, man, Chris has gotten so, so good at, um, at writing comedy. Yeah. I would hope so at this point. Yeah, no, it was really <laughs> impressive. Um, but I don't know. Do you, what, what's your perspective on this? Like, uh, like when are you going to become an adult? Yeah. Well, sometimes I also just like, I, during the pandemic, I, there's like a local taco shop that's just near my house. And I do this. I was like, I go to this one place and now sometimes I'm like, maybe I should just get a job here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought that too, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I like the people here. Like, I kind of just want to like hang out here some days. I mean, when um, I when I came to LA, I wanted to get a job at Chipotle. Because mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to learn how to like cook. Because they actually like cook the food in the Chipotle. So I was like, oh, I'd love to know how to make this uh, specific like uh chicken breast or whatever you know oh, yeah uh and uh i actually did apply at one point but around that time also was when the guy from the cosby show was working at trader joe's and like people made fun of him on twitter and oh. uh because there also a new target opened near us and i was like i'd like to work at target but then like some people know me from a show about a big box retailer oh yeah and so i don't know i just I didn't want to go yeah, through that. Your method, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, even though my character didn't work at the store. Just, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, like, do you? Is there some appeal to a like? Hey, I just clock in at a certain place. I know where my money's coming from. I mean, the the money piece is that stress, and it's more just like having we have staff and like, mm-hmm. I feel responsible to them and to, you know, making payroll. And so that, that keeps me up at night. Um, and it's stressful and, you know, it's not like, again, not super commercial work that we're presenting. And so it, I don't know, it, it is hard to raise that money. Um, but I do love it. And it's allowed me to travel the world and meet, some amazing artists who have, who are also like dear friends at this point. I feel like I have wonderful dear friends all over the world, but also just people who have really cracked my brain open and allowed me to think about things in different ways. And so I'm really grateful for this work. And it does, I guess maybe when I was talking earlier about this, hanging on to the sense of not knowing in a way, it's kind of also just talking about this point that you were just referring to like it kind of feels like we're just making these projects up we're just kind of like making things and and i do think that spirit of of you know creating something and then we're going to try this and um that it it's kind of a a way of being in the world that makes sense to me um and in, i don't know when i was at thinkwell even though it was like a wonderful job and i love the people um, it was more of a nine to five kind of job and it did kind of reach a point where it was like hard for me to even just like click the mouse anymore. I was just mm-hmm. like, Oh, I'm just, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, but maybe for like a little break, a little interim break for a year or two, that would be nice. Does the structure of Fusebox allow for like, uh, hey, Fusebox commissions a piece from someone mm-hmm. and then has some like financial involvement with it afterwards. 
We have not. We do commission projects, but mm. we don't hang on to. We usually just give that to. That's like your. It's the artist is in full sort yeah. of possession of the work. Um, that could be a thing that we look at. Um, well, I just wonder if like there's a way to almost have like a library of things mm. that are sort of generating some income for Fusebox. Yeah, that's you know. interesting. Um, uh, that maybe we share with the artist, and so we're each getting a cut. Um, yeah, well, I guess because let's say if I'm an artist and I, I mean, honestly, like how Fusebox runs one week, it has run two weeks at some points in the past, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, if there was, let's say for this past week when I was there, um, Fusebox was like, hey, we'll give you uh, like three workshop productions mm-hmm. and like a hotel. And so we're sort of like, we'll sort of participate in like being like an originating producer on Mm -hmm. this show. And then like, we just want like, I don't know, 3% of future box office or something like that. I mean, that's not an uncommon relationship. Um, I was just thinking maybe there's a way to almost have like a, hey, here's like 50 Fusebox shows that we've like produced over the years. And like, because of that, we know like every year we get about this X number of money. Oh yeah, that's interesting. And and then really like jack it up at the end and just like, you know, yeah, have the percentage go to one hundred and then the artists are like totally screwed. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's a good idea. Uh, screwing the artist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's in the, your mission statement. It's a long play. It's a twenty-year play. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird. Okay, it's okay. a weird way to like make. <laughs> it's a weird way to make ten thousand dollars at the end of it. <laughs> I know. Well, I do. I do sometimes think that it would be. There's just certain projects that we really love that we have, you know, helped commission or play a role in. And uh, part of me just would like to help play a role in getting it out into the world because I want yeah other to see it. I mean, of course, like uh, you. This is a you. You have a much purer view of this than I do. Um, and I have the sort of. My, a, a capitalist light view of how to <laughs> monetize this whole thing. But actually that speaks to something that you, I was thinking about when you talked about like this way of like w- moving about in the world that appeals to you is I think there is also one thing that's appealing about a festival that's like, okay, so like Edinburgh, you go to Edinburgh, but like in the back of my, their minds, in the back of my mind for Edinburgh this year, there's this version of like, I bring this show to Edinburgh it becomes this big hit. I get all this attention. Maybe I get nominated for an award. I mean, I'm not. I'm not proud of my way of thinking of this, right? But this is just something that creeps in. Well, no, that is that's yeah. that's normal. You should yeah. be. And then there's an idea of like, then I come back to the U.S. with this like hit show, and I do it in New York or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then like agents are like, it like levels me up in some form, right? Because mm-hmm. then people will consider me more of a full performer and artist and writer as opposed to like just a guy that does like character roles on TV shows or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then there's this other way of moving about through these festivals, which is just kind of like, um, this is the work I'm working on in 2023. I will go exhibit it at some places. Uh-huh. Um, and I will collaborate with some people. I'll show it to some audiences and then uh, I'll continue with the work until it's, I feel like it's life is done for now, considering like nothing ever feels finished, but at some point mm-hmm. you have to walk away from it. And then like next year I'll work on something else. And like, 
I think that's a different, interesting, different way to like mm. relate to this stuff of just like, um, it's like the moment is the expression of it and the creation of it, as opposed to like what it can do for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's a nice way of thinking about it. What is your so? <laughs> what's your problem? <laughs> yeah, what's no? I was gonna say, what's your fucking deal? <laughs> no, um, how many times have you been to Edinburgh? Like, this would be my tenth. Your tenth. So, what is? How has that experience been for you? It seems obviously it seems like it. It's a thing that I don't know excites you. That yeah. well, okay, it definitely appeals to the part of me that's like I love discovering the thing. You know, if we had a fuse box, I I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't feel like we have a fuse box type festival in LA that feels uh, to me. Fuse box feels at the, at the scale that I like, whereas in LA there's arts that are like, um, okay, this is uh, sponsored by the Getty foundation or whatever, oh. or this is at the Geffen or this is at the Wallace Annenberg where, uh, or like red cat even, or whatever, yep. where it already feels like anointed a certain, in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I do like that sort of Maven discovery thing. Mm-hmm. And of course, Edinburgh is great for that because of what we talked about. Like you're, you know, I, all, every year I go see stuff that is completely random, like just because yeah. a title was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And like you said, majority of those are like not great, but some of my favorite shows I've ever seen have been those. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I get that out of Edinburgh. Right. And then also because like, I do think it's just such a great incubator for the live, live performance. Mm-hmm. I love doing the improv shows there. I've had the great luxury of being part of a very successful improv show there. So my relationship to Edinburgh is generally one of like, it's very positive. Like mm-hmm. I don't tend to go there and, uh, do it for small audiences. Right. So that's extreme privilege that I have. Cause I got to ride on the coattails of baby wants candy. Um, but then also like b- by being part of it, I was able to see like, okay, here's how you can produce a show here. I've produced mm. three shows there. Um, so in the, the nine years that I've gone, never having really like always sort of mulling over the idea of sort of betting on myself and doing a solo show. But it wasn't until this year when it's in the script, like that you saw, but like a producer, called me and was like hey you should do a show this year and i was like okay yeah and it's it is weird that like i kind of it didn't happen until someone sort of asked me to do it yeah um but but this is the the concept for this year's show is something that's been in my head for like five years um so when he said uh when he like sparked the idea of doing a solo show like i already had the show like in my head Mm. uh, ready to go um so yeah like i I don't know when you're doing a show in Edinburgh, it's, uh, it's like, uh, it, it, you know, there's a common thing of like, are you a man dreaming you're a butterfly or a butterfly dreaming you're a man? Mm. And I often feel like Edinburgh is like where my real life is. And the other mm. 11 months is just like, <clears throat> like trying to, is just getting back to Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Well, because you know, there are not that many, um, bubbles in the world where the arts is the most important thing happening at any point Yeah, where like everyone on the street, you can be like, what show are you doing? Oh, cool. What show did you just see? It's, it's like, uh, it's, it's almost like this is, I guess the way people feel when they are like really into the super bowl or something. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You know? Yeah, I do. I love that about 
a festival, that it's this sort of temporary community and you're bumping into other artists, but also just other audience members. And it is kind of an interruption to your daily life. Uh, there's this wonderful festival in Italy called Sant'Arcangelo. It's the name of the town where it happens. And mm. uh, it's kind of a radical festival, but it has such a uh, a deep relationship with the people of the town that it's like like you'll be standing in line to get some bread the next morning and like the 80 year old baker behind the counters, like arguing with the dude in front about the dance show that just happened last <laughs> night. Like, and they're just like really arguing about it. And it's like, this is amazing. What are some of your favorite festivals in the world? Yeah. So that's one of them, this little festival in, uh, in Italy, center Congelo festival. Um, there's a wonderful festival in Kyoto, Japan called Kyoto Experiment. That's really cool, really interesting, exciting new performances. Also just like Kyoto is such a beautiful mm. city that kind of stole my heart. Like, I feel like nobody does like exquisite, like, like Kyoto, like your, your coffee cup to go is like, oh my God, it's the most beautiful <laughs> thing I've ever right. seen. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a really great one. Uh, there's a great, uh, festival in Brussels called Kunsten Festival of the Arts. That's like, I mean, that's where like some of the most interesting, coolest work happens each year. Uh, there's a great, um, uh, summer festival in Hamburg at this place called Kampnagel. It's in this old, the, just the facility is so cool. It's in this old crane factory where they used mm. to make cranes. And so like the scale of the space is just massive. And, mm. Oh, by the uh, way, that reminds me that I wanted to ask you if you'd seen Burnt City, the Punch no, Drunk Show. No, I haven't. What is that? It's the new Punch Drunk Show. They did Sleep No More. Oh, and, cool. Uh, uh, in, uh, it's east of London, but it's a massive scale. It's about the war between Troy and Troy oh, and... Wow. Greece? Uh, <laughs> I didn't absorb the details of it exactly. Uh, but Did I don't you know like if you ever it? saw it. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. I, I would definitely go again. Um, okay, cool. But it's well, a massive, It's it, they took over an entire armory, and uh, one half is Troy, and one half is, uh, I guess, Greece. I don't know. I, I didn't. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, you walk on one half of it, and it's this entire, like, modern... 80s style arcade uh vibe kind of synth wavy party atmosphere and then you go to the grease side and it's like sand desert tents um it's a real it's really interesting and it's one it's a a promenade type show where like you can go wherever you want um uh, and then the other one is have you heard of these guys pollo rojo uh, uh -uh. these it's a two-man movement dance piece i'll send you the link for that they are great they were like they'd be great for Fusebox. oh um, yeah send me their send me their info yeah so wait the unspoken question then based on your list of festivals you like is what is the state of arts festivals in the u.s yeah well so there's not a lot like Fuse box as sort of like interdisciplinary, but with live performance in the middle of it. Uh, there's one in Portland called the Time Based Art Festival. Hmm. Uh, there's Under the Radar in New York. Right. Uh, there's there are some there's the Philly Fringe. There's Fringe festivals. Yeah. Um, which are 
I would say we're in the same family, but a little different in the U.S. I would well, say. U.S. Fringe festivals I have a strange relationship to because, like, they don't have the same spirit as the Edinburgh one. Um, yeah, they're yeah. generally not administered in the same way. Which is mm-hmm. Edinburgh is just like you book a venue and you're in. Like, there's no there's no curating for Edinburgh, mm-hmm. which is kind of a joyful approach to it. It's kind of like yeah. if if you want to do something, do it, and you're in. Yeah, yeah um, totally. Whereas. Because I guess space reasons and all that stuff. No, no, no other city really in the U.S. at least has sort of captured the alchemy of um, mm-hmm. the way it just takes over the whole city, which, I mean, clearly makes some financial sense for Edinburgh because like every bar and restaurant becomes a venue and they make money, they sell alcohol and all that stuff. Um, so it's, I'm not clear exactly why it couldn't work here. I, I don't think there's an actual reason why it couldn't work here, except that you need sort of everybody to buy in at the same time, I guess. Um, I mean, South by Southwest has kind of become that in Austin. Yeah. It's just, it's really for music. Um, but like, yeah, there's a time in March where you can't open your pantry without a band playing. <laughs> like, <it's laughs> That's like, right. Yeah. So I don't know. It's every it's, square inch. But that, well, that's, but that's interesting. So then like the logistics of it can be done in the U.S. It's just like maybe people in the U.S. don't care about the same things i don't know well certainly i don't think like theater is at the top of most people's minds uh comedy i think a lot of people obviously enjoy comedy yeah um you know we this box is really interested in the act of of gathering and being in a space and experiencing live things together. So we, we really intentionally work with all different kinds of artists and there's not a lot of festivals that do that. Uh, There's some, I don't know. It's interesting because I think Fusebox has a sort of, it does feel like it has an open-ended vision, but then also it does Mm -hmm. seem like there's, uh, there is a, there is a aesthetic or something to like the kind of things that get into Fusebox. Um, yeah, well, we have we're, we have been interested in projects that are kind of you know playing around with a thing or mm-hmm. playing around with form or like the possibilities of the art form uh, that interests us. So in some ways, it's also a, a festival of possibilities and yeah, ideas. I guess so. We yeah and so in a way it does it makes less sense for fusebox to be like hey i wrote a a two-act play and it's about or like i'm gonna do uh you know i want to do king lear with my local band of actors and we just want to come do it at fusebox Mm -hmm. like it makes less sense in a way yeah correct and we also we have a our version of our fringe frontera fest um, it's it's first come first serve. They have a limited number of slots, but it's first come first serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of open in that way, which I think is wonderful, and it has a wonderful spirit. It's really beloved. Those are short form. Uh, I think it's like maybe you have twenty five minutes or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's that's very beloved. Do you get resistance towards getting more people to hear about Fusebox in Austin? Oh well, it's been kind of a. You know, we've never had a big marketing budget, so it's always been kind of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're at this sort of 
uh, transition period because we've most of the venues that we use are like you know, like 100, 150 seat venues, and we're largely at capacity. Mm-hmm. And so our audience base as it currently stands is like filling those seats. And so we're like, great, we're full. Yeah. But we would like to keep inviting more people into what we're doing. And so I think moving forward, we're going to, we're going to start doing some things throughout the year. Oh, cool. And then we're going to try and fold, fold in some bigger capacity venues and sites, doing some things in parks and public spaces. And then also maybe folding in one or two, just larger theaters or venues that can hold more people. Yeah. I guess also like Um, you can only expand in a certain number of ways. You can go to bigger venues or you can go to like more weeks, I guess. Um, Yep, yep. But there's certainly there's not that many yep, vectors right. for you to like expand as a festival. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fun. I don't want to lose those smaller venues. Like I think that's probably always where my heart will be. Like I really love uh, this feeling that you know you you can have a very personable, tangible relationship between the art that you're experiencing mm-hmm. and. Um, and yourself. Maybe it's the difference between being a witness to something and being a spectator to something. Um, but at the same time, it's fun to think about some some projects happening on a larger scale and also giving artists that opportunity to kind of exercise some different artistic muscles to dream on a little bit bigger scale. That's fun too. Yeah. Um, so you're, um, over the 19 years, you're not the only like decision maker in terms of like what what gets into the festival. Yeah. Yeah. So we work with different curators. I'm really, I like, I'm interested in like what people are interested in, you know? So Mm -hmm. I didn't want to create like a panel where you kind of score and then average things out and you take like, 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 I want to like say, Hey, Jeff Kahn, you know, a lot about, this particular kind of thing that's happening in this particular kind of world, like pick out, you put together a program Mm -hmm. and I'm not even going to weigh in on it. You just do it. (laughs) You're like, I'm not even going to go see uh, it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, I'm not going to pay for it, but you can have his own little thing. Go for it. Uh, So well, the reason I bring that up is without naming names, have you, have you, had a thing enter the festival you were like no i don't like this at all and and have you ever been like i didn't like i i didn't want it but like i was surprised when i saw it you know yep i would say both of those things have happened and and it's also like so but sometimes it's like yeah it's not the the point of working bringing on guest curators is to like provide different vantage points and perspectives that might not a hundred percent align with mine. And like, that's interesting. That's mm-hmm. like, thank God that would otherwise be boring after a while. So, uh, um, but for the most part, I'm really tickled and delighted by what people bring to the table. Um, and even like I said, the few instances when I'm like, Oh yeah, I really did not like that show. That's also just kind of like there's shows that I have programmed that in the end, I'm like, yeah, actually that didn't really work. Uh, <laughs> right. Like, and it's kind of a, uh, I think maybe we were talking about this before your show started, like the idea of like risk taking, like it sounds really nice. Uh, oh yes. I, yes. I believe in it. But then when you're experiencing it, it's like so painful. Yeah. I think cause we, uh, we were talking before my workshop on Sunday of, of this, there is a trope these days of like, 
you know what? The faster you fail, the more you, you know, you learn more from failure than you do from success. There's just a lot of talking around these sort of motivational things of like, you know, go, go make big mistakes. And it's like, yeah, all these things feel really bad to do. <laughs> they do. They hurt real bad. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, um, I think in some ways, you know, like my first reading of my show, like it, it was very useful, obviously. Help me get to where the second reading was. But like the first reading did not feel good at all. And so like um while while I was heartened by like the 60 people that showed up for the show uh, uh, Sunday, I was also sort of scared by having that many people show up because I was like, um, this didn't go that great last time. <laughs> and now I have more people seeing it. Well, you handled it beautifully, and um, I'm so excited. What do you? So, here's a question for you. Um, would you ever? Is there a world where you would like, like? I was like, this should be like a Netflix special. This is like so. Yeah. Uh, I there's obviously so, you're like so skilled at being in the room and being present and like responding to people in the room, and that's so wonderful and tangible, but. I also could imagine that being on like Netflix or something and being so good. Is that something you ever consider? I've thought about it. I've thought about, um, I guess the way I've been thinking about it is if this experience was living in different mediums, I think I would probably, I think it would probably be, be different. So yeah. like, um, I was thinking of it. I was thinking of like, there should, maybe I'll have like a companion book to it at some point mm, with mm. maybe like more research into like the topics and the stuff. And then I was thinking about if I ever shot this as special, certainly there's one version where you just like sit in the room and you shoot it and whatever. But mm. I also did think like it would actually open up more possibilities to like shoot scenes from the movies that she's in as her. Um, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, oh and also if it's a Netflix special, you, it, it's not, a, it's not a 0% possibility that then I can get her to be like in the last shot of the thing, you know, it would be amazing. Yeah. I feel like that would be such a great move on her part too. Like, yeah. Freaking, like yeah, own some of this and have, have a laugh about it and own it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, like, um, I guess uh, like I do think. I do want things to like really live in the mediums that they're in, you know? Yeah. Um, like, I think that this show, I don't think I'll ever do this show where it's like all the edges are polished off and it's just like, I'm yeah. in a theater and I present to you this show. I do want there to be that. Like I even told, cause my husband, Eric's going to tech the show in Scotland. I was telling him there's probably going to be chunks of the script where we might, I might even say in the script, like, for the next five minutes, it's just, I'm going to talk to the audience about whatever, you know, yeah. um, because I, I, um, I, I've been thinking lately about like, okay, so there's this big paranoia about like AI is going to take over all that. Yeah. I think it's yeah. really whatever. I have no strong opinion, but I really don't think it's that scary. I also don't think it's that great, <laughs> whatever. Um, but <laughs> I do think that, uh, a lot of, technology and a lot of social media and a lot of streaming services. Um, I think there's an opportunity for like live performance to become really valuable. Uh -huh. And I think that we should reward people for coming to see a live show by being like in the room with them and giving them a yeah. show. That's like, like I almost want to advocate for shows being a little rougher or like a little, 
having more raw edges to them that yeah. that have unpredictability to them or you know yeah that's i mean that's like what makes it live yeah i mean i guess it's in a it's this is like a uh very old argument about like when you go see a concert do you want them to sound just like on the cd yeah yeah or yeah, do you yeah. want to you know but um i do feel like sometimes especially in like more commercial theater there's this effort to almost like try to become like television or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and Don't it just like... kills it like it feels lifeless to me mm-hmm I tend to agree with you. Like, let's let's think about each thing as its own, almost like site specific performance. And if you're doing something for the camera, think about that as its own venue, almost, and yeah. like make a show for that. The alternative is I, say, I could try to make a show that's good enough that translates to whatever. Yeah, you know, that would involve me increasing the quality of the show, which I am not necessarily <laughs> interested in. If I had a uh, unlimited budget, uh, what I would bring to Fusebox would be. Um, a I would bring a thing that is just a play that's just like um let's say a very standard like it's literally Fusebox Festival presents Romeo and Juliet and then uh you go to a theater like uh Rude Mex were very generous to loan their space for me to do the workshop at you go to the Rude Mex it's set up like a traditional black box theater space it's just Romeo and Juliet and then something in something happens the play goes uh wrong as they say um. And the play breaks down, like completely stops. And people in the audience start getting upset um, and they ask for their money back or whatever. And so what I want is I want everyone in the play and in the audience to be actors. And there's only one paying ticket holder (laughs) for the show or two, let's say. So you only sell two tickets per performance. Uh, and then everything else, they're all actors. And so like by the end, they figure out that the entire show is just for those two people. Um, now, I know this makes maybe too much commercial sense for you. Um, <laughs> well, we're always trying to find new ways to lose money. So yeah. yeah, this is a great way. This is a way for you to pay about 46 actors and get... Thirty dollars of ticket revenue. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> this is. I'm gonna share this with the board. They're gonna love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, la- I think not last year, but the year before at Edinburgh. Maybe it was last year. There was a show that was. Um, oh, it was last year. It was. You buy a ticket, and it was. Uh, you go to one of the the Edinburgh Assembly offices, and they sit you at a cubicle where there's a computer. And the, I think the whole show was like in the emails on the computer. Um, and, <laughs> nice. you know, you like had to click through it and like, and they, I think they only sold like six tickets a day or whatever. And I remember just being like, how is this making any money? Um, but I, but that's why I love Edinburgh. I like, I love shows like that. So what, uh, I, I'll end on this. Like what, what, what are some pie in the sky things you want for the 20th anniversary? Yeah. So we wanted to do this big public project uh around the eclipse hmm. uh and maybe a series of projects leading up to that like a series of parades and art and tech projects and working with we we work with like 20 different local partners when we put on each festival and so we've just been kind of floating this idea to a lot of those folks and they've been super excited about it so anyway a series of projects around the eclipse and then there's like this actual or natural phenomenon that's happening. Um, I guess for any one place to be in the 
to experience a total eclipse. It's that happens every 385 years in one place. Um, so it's pretty unique. I mean, I think a, a solar eclipse happens every like, I don't know, year and a half, but for one place to experience it in totality, it's 385 years. So wow. pretty unique. Um, so that'll be fun. Um, we're doing, uh, something What do you know, this, uh, artist, Sam Green, who makes mm. these live documentaries, uh, really, really wonderful, brilliant artist. He, uh, creates these documentaries and then is like narrating them live and cueing the material live. And then he'll often have a live score. Like he did this documentary about Buck, Buckminster Fuller and Yola Tango played the live score. Oh, cool. His um, latest project is about sound. It's called 32 Sounds and it's about sound. It's about different people who have dedicated their entire lives to like studying a particular sound. Uh, and the whole audience gets headphones um, and so you're, you're getting this like very, very rich sonic experience. And then JD Sampson from the band La Tigra, uh, does the live score. Uh, it's a really beautiful project. And Sam's been a part of our, uh, Fusebox family for, uh, for many years now. And so it's, it's, it's so fun to think about artists from our past 20 years that oh, have yeah. really left a mark. And so inviting a lot of these artists from our, our past to come do things, to come attend and sort of celebrate this thing. Um, yeah. How many artists were in the first one? Um, what was interesting, it was all in one venue uh, in the first one. And we did it, but we did it like over a month. Oh. Um, and so it was maybe like 10 different shows. And maybe that was like each show had like six to 10 people in it. And cool. I don't know, maybe it was like, 70 to 100 artists i wonder how i wonder how many of them you can bring back for <laughs> from the very I know, first one it would be so fun yeah uh, but yeah so we want to do a couple larger scale things that exist in public space i think that's a fun thing to i like this idea of using the festival to create these encounters in public space that kind of become part of our shared memory of living in a city living in austin together mm -hmm. um and then you're you know you're walking by this building or this park you're like oh that's where this crazy thing happened yeah uh like that, that that's interesting to me um and i guess that that's where it's yeah there's some artists from our history that i'd love to share and bring back and then um this large scale public art project related to the eclipse. Uh, and then we're bringing this, I can say that we're, we're hoping to bring this artist, Justin's shoulder, who's um, uh, based in Australia, kind of half Filipino, half Australian. And his work floats between like, sort of like queer club scene, museum and theater spaces. Hmm. And the, he, like works with these incredible designers and has these costumes that are made with prosthetics and like you don't even know what you're looking at <laughs> half the time. It's like true. Like I don't know anyone in the world that's doing exactly what Justin's doing. And um this is a, a project we've been trying to make happen for several years and it's I think it's finally gonna happen this year. So I'm really excited about that one. It's a I think he's pretty singular and um we've had him one time before, I think in 2017 or 2018, he'd performed something at our at our festival club, and like the the whole audience just like 
their minds were melt. They did not know what was happening. <laughs> truly wild. The sound person couldn't even look at what was happening. It was like so oh, wow. wild. Yeah. Um, it, he conjures something. <laughs> it's just like, wow. I love that. So, yeah, you uh, you should come back just to see that. It's really yeah. Justin special. And he's just such a sweet, sweet soul. I really, really love him as a human. So. Oh, Those are awesome. some things that I'm excited about, and um, we should. T- I'd love to bring um, your show back. Yeah, I mean, I'll be busy at Netflix shooting it, but uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I would love to do that. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd uh, be I'd so love fun. to have it kind of, kind of like see. I mean, I'm. Uh, I've talked on this podcast before um, that uh, I don't. Uh, if you'd asked me before the Austin workshop. I'm like, I think this show will be good, but I don't uh, know how it's going to be good. Like, I don't understand what the path is between here and there. Mm-hmm. And I, I, after Austin, I was like, okay, I think I have a little idea of like where I can get there. But I'd say the dip, like where the show is now and where it will be like April of 2024, uh, it should be pretty a different beast at that point. Yeah. Um, because even just in Edinburgh, I'm going to be doing it 27 times. Yeah, that's um, amazing. Yeah, so like it it should have a life of its own. You know, most of the good ideas in the show so far have not been things that I like intentionally thought of. They were things that yeah. like happened from me. Um, you, you know what I mean? Like they just bubbled up out of the show. Yeah. And it were sort of like ruminations that I had. Like, what if I did this? Um, but not yeah. like a, like, I've got to figure out how to solve this thing. They They weren't like muscled into the show. And so... I can only assume that like by doing it 27 times in Edinburgh, that some more ideas will come up. Oh Um, yeah. That's so exciting. I feel like at least in Austin, and I think this is true in a lot of places, it feels like so often the, the life of a live performance is so short. Like you have a rehearsal process and then maybe you do it for one or two weekends. This is in Austin and then it's, it's done. And like, I feel like you really haven't gotten a chance to like really understand how the possibilities of the thing because you need an audience to feel it and you need to try out things. Yeah, and, and I also just think like there, the a lot of stuff just doesn't come from our conscious artistic brains of like yeah. I'm an artist. Like here's how I write a script. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I do think a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff, just comes from like somewhere inside of you. Some circuit is connected, and yeah. you didn't intend it to, and some association to some other thing you know, that you saw, like, I have no doubt. I'll probably see something at Edinburgh that will like find its way into the show. Totally. Totally. Um, but yeah, I appreciate it. I'm yes. I will definitely come back and do it. I can't wait to see this, uh, guys prosthetics <laughs> disco prosthetics <laughs> yeah disco prosthetics. yeah you have to see justin shoulder like it, yeah. he's amazing yeah um, uh so ron how can people get involved or find out or follow fusebox festival stuff yeah fuseboxfestival.com uh visit our website we're about to announce our this first season of fusebox programming outside of the festival oh cool uh that'll be announced next week and and then yeah follow us on instagram same fusebox festival uh and yeah stay stay tuned and we'll be um gearing up for our 20th anniversary okay last question uh last question is what's your current go-to restaurant in austin oh there's some good one. I mean, I love Nixta. I think Nixta is so good. What is that? Uh, what is it? Yeah. It's a little taqueria. 
place. Is this the been... local one you're going to work at? No, uh, I would work at Nixta too, but <laughs> the one I would work at is Mi Madres, and like uh, I just love. I just it's this neighborhood. It's good. It's maybe not like you're not going to be like, oh my god, that was like the best text back ever. But it's it's good. Uh-huh. Um, but it's just a good neighborhood joint, and I love the people there, and it's chill and uh, cool. It's good. Uh, wait, and, and mix is M I X T A N N I X T A. Yeah. Next time you're here, we got to go. It's so good. Okay. Cool. Uh, all right, everybody go check that out. Go follow Fusebox Festival. Ron, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was so fun. That was my conversation with Ron Barry. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, so lots of personal updates. Um, I have Hollywood Fringe coming up very soon. If you want to uh, come see that. That starts June 5th uh, at Hollywood Fringe at the Thymeli Arts Center in uh, Hollywood, California. Uh, more importantly, since a lot of you don't live in the Los Angeles area, um, I have started my Kickstarter. So please go to that, chrisgrace.com slash scarlet, S-C-A-R-L-E-T-T. That will forward you to the Kickstarter link. I would love if you considered contributing, contributing, pledging, donating, to the Kickstarter. Um, I've set an ambitious fundraising goal for myself uh, because Hollywood Fringe and Edinburgh Fringe are quite expensive. And I set a budget that was, this is like my realistic budget. So I've produced shows at Edinburgh Fringe before where I was like, okay, this will cost, let's say $11,000 to bring this play to Scotland. And then what happens is um, costs escalate. And then, Really, when I was just the producer of these shows, I, I really took to heart the idea that, you know, these actors have really put in a lot of work. We have created something that I'm very proud of that I want people to see. At that job, uh, at that point, the producer's job really becomes getting people in the seats. It's really incumbent upon me as the producer to do that. And so what happens is the budget kind of grows. Um, and I saw a very direct connection between just specifically like Facebook digital advertising and box office for both the John Accardo magic show that I produced and directed and the uh, Voldemort uh, Harry Potter show that I directed. It was, it was a tangible connection between Facebook digital marketing and tickets. Uh, So what happens then is your budget sort of just grows more than you expect. And so this time around, I really built in some extra, Uh, room for that kind of thing because i do want this to be a show i don't want to leave this fringe being like okay i didn't i didn't uh i didn't push it to as many people i didn't um i didn't i I skimped on the resources or something like that anyway uh chrisgrace.com slash scarlet s-c-a-r-l-e-t-t um please go there and uh take a look let me know what you think Uh, i've got a little bit of time i'm going to be adding some more things let me know um you can email me at chrisgraceshow at gmail.com if you think there's some rewards you'd think I should add or other ideas you might have. But a uh, new development that I had never realized with Kickstarters, because I've done a kick, I did a Kickstarter in 2018, 19, when I brought John's show over. Uh, there's a whole new world of Kickstarter spam going on, including a very, very cheeky uh, method of spamming you, which is a guy pledged $500 to my campaign and then messaged me, Hey, uh, 
I'm sending you $500, but I really want you to go look at this Fiverr uh, offering where you can pay $5 to have this person consult on your campaign. And this is all spam, right? But it's framed in the sense of like, hey, I gave you money. Go look at this Fiverr thing. And I would hate to have to take this money back. And because I didn't like look at or hire the Fiverr, I mean, the, the Fiverr thing was just complete. There's a whole lot of very generic spammy kind of uh, non-helpful information being offered out there as expertise. And because I didn't hire this Fiverr thing, um, three days later, the pledge was removed, which I learned is a thing that you can remove your pledge and sort of keep someone, you know, basically take away your obligation to uh, support that project in Kickstarter. Unless the project gets funded. If the project gets funded, then um, you are responsible for that. And of course they can cheat the system by like putting in a fake credit card or something like that. Uh, but more importantly, uh, I'm going to have to make sure that I get quite a generous margin over my funded level, which is $16,000 because um, for example, if that guy had removed his pledge 24 hours before I hit $16,000, it wouldn't count towards making my limit, right? But if I funded over $16,000, including his pledge, even if he um, didn't pay what he had promised, I would still get my Kickstarter money. Uh, they don't count against you. Uh, if you get funded, they don't count against you people that like their credit cards don't go through or whatever. I mean, I mean, there's legit reasons why someone's not going to be able to like fulfill their pledge after they've said they could. Uh, and that won't hurt me apparently. Um, so yeah, I'm prepping this week for that. Um, I have a tech coming up this coming weekend and then I've got, um, the, uh, the preview. And then I've got four more shows at the Hollywood fringe. Uh, I, in my mind have been thinking about using this Hollywood fringe run at, really more for me than for um, getting a lot of like ticket sales or anything in the show. Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see this Hollywood fringe run as being like something to like heavily put lots of resources into promoting because I want to use it more as five test runs of the show. Um, so, uh, I, that's sort of how I'm approaching it. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is I'm setting an expectation that if I only have five people come to each show that I'm going to be okay with that. Um, I'm also going to Bloomington, Indiana, June 1st through 3rd for the Limestone Comedy Festival. Very exciting news. I'll be opening for Melissa Villasenor um, on Saturday night, 930. It's like a big show. In fact, one of the reasons I applied to this festival was I wanted to perform at the comedy attic in Bloomington, which is considered like a very, uh, you know, a good club. Um, and I think I'm not, so I'm not performing at the attic, but I think actually I might be performing in a bigger venue because of Melissa Villasenor's, you know, SNL celebrity. I don't know. Uh, but I've heard very good things about the festival. That's, uh, Next week, I'll let you know how that goes. And um, so, yeah, Hollywood Fringe in June. And then July really will be about putting the final polishing touches on the Fringe show and really doing a promotional push in July leading into August. Uh, that's about it. I mean, that's plenty, isn't it, going on? Um, yeah, life's been uh, very... I, I can't say that life has been easy. Oh, yeah. I also turned 50 years old. 
I'll talk about it next time. Um, I mean, I, I have been feeling some fatigue or something. Like I don't know. Like, um, my mood hasn't been that great lately, to be honest. Like, being 50 is very... Um, has me thinking about like a lot of things in life. And, uh, I guess I was thinking like, it's, it's, I'm definitely not young anymore, but I'm not really old in a lot of ways. I am old in certain ways. I'm certainly old to be a person that's just like featuring as a stand up comedian and <laughs> trying to make a uh, living doing that. Um, I am still uh, employed in this TV show that I'm working on, which is good. That's a whole thing that I can't really get into publicly. Um, you know, I, I'm, I guess what I'm currently fighting is the feeling of, how do I put this? I'm trying to fight the feeling of, um, you know, is it just a little bit more effort over the next six months to a year that can really put me in a position of being a little bit more free artistically and financially you know, is this a, like a little bit of a hump that I can just like push through and get over and find a way to pay all my bills and do what I want to do and also support my friends and family the way that I want to, you know, or there's this other sort of dark shadow in my mind that's uh, like I was thinking about today. I'm not depressed. Like I don't have depression. I don't feel like a cloud over my head in terms of sadness that I know a lot of my friends have had and have dealt with through mental health uh, approaches. Right. I don't have that. But what I do have is I have this like growing shadow sometimes of just like, like, uh, what is the, like, not what's the point, but like, like, um, I don't know. It's just sometimes it's like, man, I'm, I, I, there is a part of me that wants to coast a little bit and just like, and I know there's a very real possibility that this is a growing feeling sort of parallel with becoming more successful, that there's a part of me that like longs for, like, honestly, there's times I miss the pandemic. I miss the, like, no expectations of, I mean, it's crazy to think that we had two years, literally two years where there was nothing expected out of us. Like it was okay to just be like, well, I literally didn't leave the house for 10 days in a row. I took a walk on the 11th day and people just be like, yeah, that's just the way it is. I don't know. But I also know that that that's, uh, that's a mode that's probably, you know, I've been in that mode before too. Obviously I was in it for two years and like, it wasn't that great. And, and maybe that f way of looking at the world is just something you sacrifice. If you want to be, if you want to get to the next level, whatever that means. Um, I don't know. It's hard these days to like sort out what is like, um, a productive, creative, um, way of looking at life and what is like the remnants of toxic hustle culture, you know? Um, so anyway, that's all just to say that I'm 50 years old now and thinking about mortality. <laughs> ChrisGrace.com slash Scarlet. Um, send me money so that I don't have to think about it, so I can be distracted from mortality by your money. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, we'll be back next time, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful day, and uh, you'll be hearing from me very soon. Episode was recorded by Chris Grace. Edit. No, no one else was involved with it.
this episode because uh, I just wanted to put the personal touch on it. I'm trapped inside a cassette uh, recorder. That's why my voice sounds like this. Anyway, write us at chrisgraceshow at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see you next time.